case is probably mostly the women. I, I, I have very tender skin, so I put on uh, lotions. Have you guys ever done that where you're like half asleep? You're like, oh my God, what am I putting on my face? Uh, no, just me. Okay, awesome. That's, that's good. I'm glad I'm bringing this up. Um, so I put on, I, I thought I was putting on lotion uh, this morning, but it was like this B12 uh, stuff, which probably is going to ruin uh, my face. It might even eat my skin. But I realize as these lights are on, like it feels super, super hot. Don't turn the lights off. It'll be fun. But uh, I, half my face might be super sweaty, and the other half is going to be dry because I realize halfway through. So just heads up, if that happens, it'll look like T.D. Jake's a little bit in here. It'll be good. It'll be a good time. So uh, I, that's not an insult. I love T.D. Jakes. He's a, he's a great guy. So, well, I'm excited, as I said, uh, to share this uh, message with you guys. Before we do, let us just bow our heads, pray, invite the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity just to gather together here this morning. Lord, I realize that apart from you, I can do nothing. I realize, Lord, that every idle word that I speak here today is a waste of everyone's time. But Lord, if you'll speak through me, if you'll anoint this message, and you can change hearts, you can change lives, you can reveal a truth to us, Lord, that none of us could ever imagine. Father, I pray specifically for those that are going through tough times, that are going through confusing times, times where maybe they feel lonely, maybe they feel abandoned, and, and they're just trying to make sense of all of this. I pray right now that you'd touch them specifically here today, that they'd leave stronger than they came in. Father, bless and anoint this time. Let your Holy Spirit fill every inch of our sanctuary, every inch of me, that we are hearing you up here and not myself. Father, we love you. Thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to ask the question again, but this is a different type of question. Have you ever woke up in the morning just like full of enthusiasm and full of excitement, like full of motivation just to get things done? Like you wake up and you're just like, today is the day. Like all these things you've been wanting to do, you're like, I'm doing it today. Like you've been wanting to get in shape and go to the gym and, and eat right. And you're like, today's the day. I'm going to start my diet. I'm going to start eating healthy. I'm going to go to the gym today. I'm going to start a new streak. I'm going to go to the gym every single day starting today for an hour. I'm doing it. You're full of motivation. You're like, this is it. I'm, I'm going to get all my errands done. I'm going to run all my errands. I'm going to go food shopping. I'm going to pay all those bills that have been sitting on my desk now for months. I'm going to pay them. I'm going to get it done. And you say, I'm going to wash the, I'm going to wash the car. I'm going to wash the dog. I'll, I'll even wash the cat. I'll wash any living thing in my house. I'm doing it today. You're so excited. You're, so, you're filled with enthusiasm. You're filled with motivation. And then as the day starts to come to an end, as, as the sun's going down, you start to think to yourself, man, where did all of the time go? Because as the sun's going down, you realize, I didn't do anything today. I didn't call. Is anyone just me? Man, just me, okay, thank you. Thank you for one brave person, and the rest of you are all liars, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm revealing a lot about myself, and all you guys are staring, not me, not me, it didn't happen to me. Here's the thing, you had all this motivation and excitement, but you didn't do anything. And I'm not trying to say that as an insult. Here's the reality, it probably wasn't a motivation issue. It might have been, but it probably wasn't. What it was was a distraction issue. You got distracted. See, the enemy is great, a ploy in life is to distract you. 
to knock you off course, to stop every good thing that God wants to do in your life. His job is to distract you. Because if you're distracted, you can never walk the path that God wants you to walk. Do the things that God wants you to do. And that's why the second part of, of, of my message titled today, it's not just the cost of not, it's don't let the enemy distract you. Don't let the enemy distract you. Now, now when we say enemy, I don't know, maybe there was a memo that was sent out that I didn't get. But, but let me say this. When we say enemy, whatever terminology you want to use, enemy, adversary, the devil, Satan, whatever it is, we're talking about the same thing. I just don't want anyone to think like we're talking about ISIS or some other, and like, who is this enemy? We're talking about the same thing here. But his job is to distract you. His job is to distract you. Because he knows that you're smart. He's aware that if you knew today something was going to happen to you that was going to knock you off course or something that was going to happen to you that was going to delay or potentially even ruin everything God wants to do good in your life, all of us would be on guard and we'd say, well, we're not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let anything happen. So he knows that about you. So his job is just to give you a little insignificant distraction. Maybe something that even on the surface seems okay, seems good, but it's a distraction. All of a sudden, God was number one, but he starts to get lower and lower on the list because we start to get distracted. In fact, the great Bible scholar, prophet, and even part-time boxer, Mike Tyson, he once said that, that everyone has a plan in life until they get punched in the mouth. I mean, amazing wisdom coming from, from Mike Tyson. And it was so true when he said, he said, everyone has a plan in life until they get punched in the mouth. What's he saying? Everyone's got this amazing plan until something comes that distracts them from that plan. The enemy's job is to distract you, to knock you off course. And there's so many different distractions that can happen in your life. Like for, for a younger person, your distraction, it could be video games. And I'm not even going to look over at my wife because that's what she struggles with. So I don't want to. She hates video games. It's something that I used to struggle with. It was something that before I was saved, I used to mess around. I'm, I'm lying to you guys. I still am struggling. <laughs> we have a five-month-old baby. I don't even know where my video games are at. Right? I'm, I'm lying again. I know exactly. They're upstairs in my office. But I'm working on it. I'm, I'm 95% saved. That's the other 5% that I'm working on. But, but it's a distraction. Can I tell you when I'm writing a message during the week how appealing playing a video game is? Like, there's times, and, and you'll experience this as well. So, like, if you're at a, at a job or you're doing something you don't want to do, almost anything seems better than what you're doing. And I'm not saying that I don't want to write a message or I don't want to pray or read my Bible. But in those moments, it's like, man, you know what? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. I'll just play this little video game. Ten minutes can turn into an hour, can turn into five hours, can turn into the whole day. It's a distraction. In fact, I've seen adults go on the computer and play solitaire for hours at a time. Like the most boring game, like, I don't know, maybe I don't understand the rules of solitaire. I'm just going based on visual here. Like you're taking a card and you're just putting them into stacks. I, I don't know. But I've seen adults do this for hours when they actually had things that they needed to do. Not just things that they wanted to do, things that they needed to do. It was a distraction. Holding them back from everything that God wants to do in their life. God's saying, man, you need to get up. You need to get things done. No, solitaire. Going to play solitaire. Distraction could be people. 
events that take place. Someone says something to you. It could be someone cutting you off on the, on the road. It, it could be anything like that. Distraction. It could be television. It can be easy to, to get stuck in a television and, and watch and tell. It could be social media. Do you know that they've done a study? Social media programmers, people, engineers that have made Facebook and sites like Instagram, they've done studies to show that social media sites like that actually have an addictive quality. They have an addictive quality. What, what does that mean? It means you don't even really want to go on it, but you go on it. Like, let's take Facebook, for example. You go on Facebook, you don't really have any desire to do that, but you go on Facebook, and you just are mindlessly scrolling on Facebook. In fact, have you ever been on Facebook so mindlessly scrolling, just going through Facebook here that you go to your search bar and you type in www.facebook.com and hit enter to go to the website that you were actually already on in the first place? Just me? Okay, great. This is really being an embarrassing day for me. It's mindless, but it's a distraction. It's a distraction from everything God wants to do great in our lives. See, Jesus came to earth and he said, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. But as we sit here today, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us aren't experiencing that abundant life. We're not experiencing this amazing life that, that God promised. And the, and the reason is, is we're so stuck in here and we're so stuck doing that, but we're never actually picking up this. If all your focus is in here, but not here, you're going to probably start asking yourself, where is this abundant life? Where is this God that's so amazing? He's in here and not here. But if you're only in here and never here, you'll never experience the abundant life that God wants you to experience. It's a distraction. It's such a distraction. I'm probably going to say this again to you next week, but do you know that there's 168 hours in a week? 168 hours. Do the math. I'm hoping my math is correct, so don't do the math. But I used to be good at math in elementary school. I was like amazing. I was a genius in elementary school. And after that, it just all went into the toilet. So I think it's 168 hours in a week. What if you spent an hour each day with God, praying and reading the Bible? That would be seven hours out of 168 hours in your week. That means you would have 161 out of 168 hours to really do whatever you want. But those seven hours would change your life. And it's so hard. It seems like, man, we're so busy. How in the world could we do this? Man, if we add up all of our distractions during the day, you'd say, oh, I actually do have a lot of time. This message is going to be pretty short today, but I just want to talk to you about one story, one moment in the Bible where God had this amazing plan for this young man. But distraction had, the, had a chance to ruin everything that God wanted to do in his life. And that young man was David. In fact, David went through multiple times where distraction could have ruined everything that God wanted him to do. But I'm going to talk about one specific story. See, David right now is, is a young boy. He's a shepherd in a field taking care of a bunch of sheep. And he's about to be anointed and picked to be the second king of Israel. But he doesn't know that. In fact, do you know that his job was very lonely? He was out there taking care of sheep. He had nothing really to do other than watch over those sheep and spend time with God. It was a, a lonely job, maybe even a boring job. But he sat out there, and here's the, here's the remarkable thing about that. He might have even felt slighted by God. See, he had eight brothers. He's one of eight brothers. He had seven brothers. 
And all of them were, were warriors, they were fighters. And, and I wonder if David ever sat out there saying to himself, God, why do you have me doing this? God, why, why don't I do anything exciting like my brothers? This job is so boring. All I do is watch over the sheep, and, and it's awesome because I do get to spend time with you, God. And yeah, I get to work on that slingshot. I can put rocks in there and, and hit targets. It's a boring job. But now every now and then he had to fight and kill a bear with his bare hands. Can I tell you that's like the worst job in the world? If you have a job that's so boring, but every now and then a bear is going to attack you and you got to stay on guard to fight it off, it's like, I cannot let my guard down. I, when I grew up, I played third base. I played baseball, and they call that the hot corner. They call it the hot corner because at any moment, a line drive could just scream past you. So every single pitch during the game, you got to be ready. Okay, here we go, here we go. But the reality was, very rarely did a ball ever get hit to me. And when it did, it was usually a grounder that went between my legs, and I would be sad. I'm sharing a lot about my life today. You guys are learning. So David's out there, this lonely, boring job. All he's doing, spend time with God, watch the sheep, play with a slingshot, every now and then kill a bear. That's it. And I say this because I wonder in those moments if he really did feel slighted by God. And, and I wonder how many of us are like that. I wonder how many of us are saying, God, why in the world do you have me at this job? You know what I want to do, but why am I here? God, why am I in this family? Our family's so dysfunctional, God. Man, why am I in that family? Why am I in these situations? But can I tell you something that's amazing about young David? Everything that he needed to be successful as the king of Israel was learned in that field. Everything he needed. He learned how to, how to watch over a flock and be a shepherd. He learned how to have a great, strong relationship with God, and he learned how to use a slingshot. Every tool he was going to need was learned in that field. And I'm telling you this, that everything that you need in life to be successful is being learned wherever God has you in this moment. And here's why. Because if you're following God, if you're led by God, and you're not where he wants you to be, he's going to open up a door and put you there. So wherever you're at, if you're following God, your close relationship with God, I'm telling you, God has you right where he wants you. Everything you're going to need is being learned in these moments, even when it doesn't make sense. But that's David's experience. In fact, there's already a king of Israel. The first king of Israel is named Saul. And Saul was a physically imposing man. He was tall. He was strong. He looked like a king. And he had a great relationship with God initially. But see, as time would go on, Saul started to get distracted. And he started to think, maybe I know better than God. So God would speak to the prophet Samuel. Samuel would tell Saul what to do. And then Saul got to a point where he's like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. I think, I think my plan's a little bit better. He got distracted and God said, well, you're not going to be the king anymore. And that's where David comes into the picture. He tells Samuel, hey, go to Bethlehem and go to this guy's house named Jesse. I picked one of his sons to be the next king. So go to his house and anoint the next king. But he doesn't tell Samuel who it is. So Samuel goes into the house and Jesse lines up seven of the eight kids. Which kid does he not line up? David. Why? Because he's young. He's taking care of the sheep. He's not important. It's like, surely David's not even a, a candidate. Again, you, you wonder what he felt in that moment. Probably felt pretty slighted. Why can't I be in the house? He lines up seven of his eight sons. And when Samuel first goes in there, he sees the oldest son named Eliab. 
And Eliab, when he first sees him, says, surely this is, this is the one that God must have picked. And here's why. Eliab's tall. He, he's physically imposing. He looks like a king. But God gave Samuel some instructions before he went there. He said, Samuel, I don't want you to look at their height. I want you to look at their heart. See, when he started looking at Eliab, he saw the same qualities that he saw in Saul. So he sees him, and he's looking at his, his physical appearance. He's looking at his height, but God doesn't look at your height. He looks at your heart. And some of us that are vertically challenged can say amen to that. He doesn't look at my height. Amen. He looks at my heart. So his eyes are initially on Eliab. This is the one, but it's not. Because he's looking at the heart. God wants to see what's on the inside of us. See, see your ability can get you somewhere. But your character is what's going to sustain you in that place. Man, Saul had all the ability, but he didn't have the character. Eliab probably had all the ability, but he didn't have the character. But David had the character. And he goes out there and Samuel anoints David as the next king. He's chosen. And it's an amazing moment. But let me tell you this. Every time God is going to do something amazing in your life, the devil is going to put a fake enemy in front of you to try to distract you. So that you'll fight that fake enemy and never actually see the real enemy. That's what he's going to try to do. Let me say that again. Anytime God is going to do something amazing in your life, he's doing something amazing in David's life, he's going to present a false enemy, a fake enemy, to take your attention away from the real enemy that you're supposed to be fighting. And that's what's about to happen to David. For some of you, it could be a family member. Like you have a real enemy. Let's say, hypothetically here, you have a family member that's suffering right now with some kind of addiction. Alcohol or drugs. That's the enemy. And they're really trying, and you've been supportive of that family member, and you're saying, okay, you can do it, but now they've messed up for like the fifth time in a row. And you're like, man, are you even serious about doing this? You start to get annoyed, you start to get frustrated with them. Now, you're fighting them. It's distraction, you're fighting them, not the addiction. The enemy's the addiction, not your family member. Some of you in here today are fighting the people you need to be fighting for. God's saying, man, sometimes you need to just call a timeout and say, you are not my enemy. This is our enemy, not each other. If you're married, don't look at each other. Don't look at each other. The devil's always going to present a fake enemy to try to distract you. That's what's happening in David's life. See, he's been anointed, the king, and his life changes so much that he's still a shepherd. He's been anointed the king, but he's still there just taking care of the sheep. But there comes a time, skip ahead a a little bit into the future, where the Israel army and the Philistines, they're about to fight. They come to a battlefield. You have the Philistine army on one side, the Israelite army on another, and they're about to have a war. But then they come up with this plan, and they say, you know what, instead of us fighting, why don't we pick one fighter from each of our group, and they'll fight. The rest of us don't have to do anything. Whoever wins is the victor. Whoever loses will be the slave of the people that won. And everyone's like, this is an awesome plan. All right, great. We don't have to do anything. Just pick one. They pick one. But what they didn't know was that the Philistines had this 10-foot-tall giant named Goliath. And they're like, we didn't know you had Goliath. You know, we don't have a 10. We got 5-foot-7-inch Ryan McFadden here, and you got Goliath? 
maybe five, eight on a good day with, with boots on. But man, that's t- guys, 10 feet. His, his sword is bigger than the people we got. That's like trying to play a pickup game and you got me playing center and the other team's got Michael Jordan on their team. It's like, I didn't know you had Michael Jordan. Man, this was such a bad decision. So for 40 days, Goliath goes to the middle of the battlefield and he starts taunting and talking trash to Israel. Starts taunting them and talking trash about their God because no one in that Israelite army wants to fight him because they all know they're going to lose. And this is the best fighters Israel has. So one day Jesse tells David, hey, why don't you bring food to your brothers that are on the battlefield because David is just taking care of sheep. But I want to point out something. David could have easily been distracted and said, dad, I don't want to bring food to my brothers. I've been anointed the king, dad. They need to bring food to me. I'm not going to lower myself to bring food to them. So easy for him to have that attitude. But he doesn't. He brings the food out there. He brings food out there to his brothers. And it's in that moment that he sees this giant out there. And it's like, what's going on? He starts talking to the men. He's like, hey, what's happening here? Catch me up to speed. What's this guy saying? Why is he saying that? What's happening? And this is the moment you're going to see the enemy present a false enemy. It comes to us in 1 Samuel 17, 28. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Any of you have any family members like that? Don't raise your hand. Are any of them with you? Yeah, don't raise your hand. Where it's like, David's none of those things. But what's his brother doing? His brother probably has anger that he wasn't chosen. He probably has some jealousy that he wasn't chosen to be the king. And he sees little David come. And he starts saying all these things. It's like, all these things aren't true. But he starts saying, like, he's belittling him. Hey, who did you leave those those few sheep? I mean, you have such a, a big job, David. You have to watch over those few little lambs. Who did you, man. Who's protecting them? And then he starts even talking and insulting them. I know how conceited you are. Now, none of this was true, but it was a distraction. Here's the distraction. See, the devil's trying to present Eliab as the enemy and not Goliath. See, if David falls for this distraction, he's going to start fighting Eliab, and he may never even know that Goliath is there. This is his moment where he's about to be catapulted from being a little shepherd boy into being a hero of Israel. This is a major, major moment in his life. But here's Eliab saying these things. And if he starts to just go on for a couple hours and starts fighting Eliab, that's not true. Why would you say that? He might not even know that Goliath exists, let alone fight him. Some of you are fighting the people you need to be fighting for. He's not supposed to be fighting Eliab. He's supposed to be fighting for Eliab. But here Eliab's trying to give him a distraction. Man, can I, I say this? I didn't have this written down. I feel like there's people in here that are fighting false accusations about themselves. Like you have a family member, a friend that are saying things to you. And, and this is what's happening in this moment. Eliab's saying these things that aren't true. And we feel like we always need to defend ourselves, even though we know that none of this stuff is true. And I, I want you to know, all God cares about is what he thinks of you. Like there's people that you're going to waste all your time 
be distracted by because you're trying to convince them that you're not what they say you are. You already know you're not that, and the reality is you're never going to convince them. They're going to tell you right now that it's pouring rain outside. Man, you could bring them outside, show them the dry ground, show them the blue sky. They're still not going to admit it, and you're here stuck for, for years trying to prove to them that you're not what, what they say you are, and you, who cares? All that matters is what God says. That's all that matters. So David is now faced with this. It's so easy that he could fall into that distraction and say, well, that's not true. How could you say this? How could you say that? But he doesn't do that. See, some of us in here, I feel like, are, are even fighting silly little battles with family. That we get so distracted because of those silly little battles that everything God wants us to do gets, gets pulled away. I want you to picture this. If this is my path, that God's called me down. And every little uh, thing that my family says about me or every little thing that happens during, during the day, the week, gets my attention, I'm never going to be able to walk forward. Because all of a sudden I see this and I, I'm over here fighting this battle. Then there's something back here, I'm fighting this battle. And then there's something over here and I'm never actually walking forward. And I feel like for some people, they look back years later and they're like, why am I in the same place that I've always been? Why am I not progressing forward? Because you're distracted by every nitpicky thing that happens, and it's time to let go of that. Just say, man, I don't, I don't have time for that. I'm laser-focused on what God has for me. Eliab says all these things to David, and you would think at first that David's about to be distracted because of what happens in 1 Samuel 17, 29. 1 Samuel 17, 29, after his brother has just said all this stuff, David turns to his brother. And you think, oh, no, he just... He just took the bait. He turns to his brother and he says, now what have I done? Because surely his brother's always bickering at him. He's like, now what have I done? He goes, can't I even speak? He's just having a conversation with these men. But he does now what you need to do in these situations. He turns to his brother and says, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then he just turns his back. I'm done. I said what I had to say, I'm done, I'm not going to let you distract me. And then the next verse says, he started just going back and talking to the man about the same issue that he had brought up before. What's going on? Tell me about this Goliath. He's the only one on that battlefield that can beat Goliath. And the devil's trying to get him to uh, distract him where he won't even fight him. But he turns around and says, I'm done with that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just going to focus on what God has for me. And that's Goliath. And that's what I want you to do. I'm telling you, don't let the enemy distract you. Don't let the enemy distract you. Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. It's a plan to bless your life beyond what you could even imagine. Beyond your abilities, beyond your resources, beyond your means. But that distraction can take you off that. Man, little David, facing 10 foot tall Goliath. David didn't have the strength, the resources on the surface. But he defeated him. God says, I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. No one thought David would win. But not only did he, did he win, he won easily. It wasn't even a contest. And that's what God wants to do in your life if you'll actually just focus on what he has for you. I want to close with this final story. That's my cue for Laura. I had to tell Laura last week, you're not in trouble. You were perfect on your timing. I really am saying this more for me because I always forget to tell her. She's going to save the day. But I want to close with a story. It's Mark 4, 3 through 8. 
It says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear any grain. But still other seed. Other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. I bring that up because we are that seed. Friends, we're that seed. The amazing thing about this verse is every single one of those seeds have the exact same potential. Every single one of those seeds could have been exceedingly abundantly more than they could have ever asked or think. All of those seeds, every single one of them had the potential to experience that abundant life, that amazing life. But some of that seed got distracted. Some of that seed got distracted by the, by the birds that were tormenting them. And they never became what, what God wanted them to become because they're so focused on all these birds that were tormenting them. And some of that seed, it fell on the rocky places. And it got so distracted by its surroundings and, and what it didn't have and, and, and all the good soils not, not around me and how could I ever be this because I'm not put in the best situation. It got distracted by that and it never became what God wanted to become. And some of that seed, it got distracted by the thorns that the enemy put in there. Thorns to distract them, to take them off course. And they got so focused on all these thorns that were there that it never became what God wanted it to become. But some of that seed, some of that seed fell on good soil. Some of that seed didn't get distracted by any of that stuff. And as the Bible points out, it grew a crop 30 times, 60 times, 100 times what it even was. That's why God says I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. You think you're a little seed and I see hundreds of you. I see thousands of you. I see more than you would ever be able to imagine. We all have that potential, but some of us get caught in those distractions that the enemy puts in our path. But God says in 2020, this is your year. In 2020, I want you to be laser focused. I want you to put those distractions to rest. I want you to be conscious of them. When you see them, you can just laugh in their face and do like David and say, I don't got time. I don't have time. I know it's there, but I don't have time because God has a plan and a purpose for my life and I am walking that path in 2020, because I'm so excited to see what he's going to do. He's going to bless your life more than you could imagine or think. Let us bow our heads and